Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Today's Tuesday, the 2nd of May. I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Bank Julius Baer, and welcome to our weekly Beyond Markets update. Well, recently, the San Francisco-based bank First Republic has been in the news a lot. It's actually been teetering on the brink of failure for two months. And finally, over the weekend, the government decided enough was enough. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation took it over and sold it to J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan gets $173 billion of loans, $30 billion of securities, $92 billion of deposits, 84 offices spread across eight states for $10.6 billion. And that was announced just a couple of hours before the market opened on Monday. If we were to dwell on the negatives, we could ask ourselves, how much is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation going to lose on this? And how many more knocks can it take? Because if we add the cost of insuring the deposits at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, which were $20 billion and $2.5 billion respectively, to the $13 billion it's apparently going to cost to insure the deposits at First Republic, that adds up to $35.5 billion, which is 28% of the deposit insurance fund's balance at the end of last year. So if skeletons keep popping out of closets at this pace, the idea is they could run out of funds rather quickly. There have been proposals about large banks contributing to a so-called special assessment in May to shore up the fund to a level that would be satisfactory to the market. But if these skeletons keep popping out so quickly, the concern is that at some point the government would have to guarantee all bank deposits and that would expand the government's obligations tremendously. Anyway, the market doesn't seem to be thinking that way right now. In fact, it seems to be breathing a sigh of relief. Unlike during the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, when Treasury yields went down a lot because investors were worried it was going to spark a banking crisis and a recession, yesterday Treasury yields rose and JP Morgan's share price rose 2.1%. So the thinking seems to be that First Republic Bank, Silicon Valley Bank were special problems reflective of the disaster that San Francisco has turned into, very sadly. It's widely acknowledged that this previously thriving city has been run into the ground, and so people are leaving, and its very expensive property prices are down over 20% from the peak in the second quarter of last year. And jumbo mortgages in the Bay Area are what First Republic specialized in, so no wonder they got into trouble, so the thinking goes. But for the broader nationwide residential property market, it's hard to believe prices are set to collapse when home builders' share prices are up 25% so far this year, which they are. Of course, a lot depends on mortgage rates, and they in turn depend on the Fed funds rate. We'll know what the Fed's going to do when it meets on Wednesday. Our economist, David Cole, has been saying for some time that the economy is going to soften in the second half, and inflation will keep coming down. So they don't need to raise rates anymore. He's been saying that for a while, actually, but the Fed's own communication has been for one more rate hike, and the journalist who's thought to have the closest ties to the Federal Reserve, Nick Timmerhaus at the Wall Street Journal, wrote that last night. He wrote, Fed officials are on track to increase interest rates again at their meeting this week, but they're then likely to keep their options open. And he added they're likely to keep an eye on how investors react to the sale of First Republic Bank, and they might have to rethink a planned increase if severe 
and unanticipated financial stresses emerge before their meeting. That's what Nick Timmerhaus wrote yesterday. Well, I just told you the market's been very well behaved and it actually seems to like the sale of First Republic to JP Morgan. There's no panic in the air right now. We'll just have to wait and see what the Federal Reserve does. In most of his press conferences so far, Chairman Jerome Powell has surprised the market by being more hawkish than people expected. So by now, the market's kind of grown used to him being hawkish at these press conferences. And so if he goes through the press conference on Wednesday without saying anything very hawkish, I suppose the market would go up. But one reason he might not do it is the Fed's own favorite measure of inflation came out on Friday. The core personal consumption expenditures index was just in line with expectations, a 4.6% rise year on year, 0.3% rise month on month in the month of March. Those are only slight decelerations from February's 4.7% year-on-year and 0.4% month-on-month rise. Also on Friday, the labor market barometer, the Fed watches most closely for inflation signals, the employment cost index, came out, and it rose by 1.2% in the first quarter over the fourth quarter. That was the first sequential rise in a year. It suggests the labor market's still tight. But there are some mixed signals. For example, temporary jobs growth in March was down 4% year-on-year. And temporary jobs are often seen as an early warning indicator that labor markets are cooling off. And anyway, the thinking is, well, the Fed's already raised rates so much from practically zero to 5%. Even if we get one more 25 basis point hike, after that it's highly unlikely there's going to be any more. And so if we are finally coming to the end of the rate hike cycle, well, that's a big change from rates going higher and higher at every meeting. And so if we turn to markets, as of Monday, we've started the month of May. And if we look back at what the markets have done so far this year at the major financial asset classes in the United States, we can look at their exchange-traded funds. Despite all the negative headlines, it's been a very good year. Only One of the 18 major exchange-traded funds has a negative return, that's commodities. But as for stocks, well, the Spider S&P 500 ETF has returned 9.2% so far this year. You may know we're entering the so-called sell-in-May and go-away time of year. The idea is the stock market underperforms in the six-month period between May and October. And nobody knows why. Maybe it's because... In the summer months, the weather's so hot that people don't work as hard, or maybe they're not working at all because they're on holiday, whatever it may be. It is true that the months of May through October have on average produced the weakest return, just 1.7% over that period of time, and they've only been up 64% of the time. But actually, if we look a little closer, we'll see that much depends on what the market did leading up to May. And if the returns from January through April were negative, then yes, returns from May through October were on average very tough. In fact, on average, they were down 2.3%, and there was a positive return only 46% of the time. But if returns from January through April were positive, then there was actually a 76% chance of a positive return from May through October, and the average return was a very decent 4.1%. Well, I just told you that so far this year, the S&P's returned 9.2%.
If we look at the technicals in the market, then yes, it's true. The S&P still needs to break definitively above the 4,200 level on the index before we can say the trading range has been broken. But here's one little fact that we can derive some comfort from. The bottom in the market was October 13th last year, after a 28% decline from January. Well, that bear market might feel like just yesterday, but believe it or not, it was already six months ago. And if we look back in history and see what happened to the S&P after it reached that same six-month milestone after previous bear markets ended, and there were 13 previous bear markets since 1945, well, the good news is that from then on, six months later, 12 months later, the S&P was higher in all but one of those 13 times and the exception was in the year 2002. If we're looking for a fundamental reason why the market has been pretty decent over the past few weeks, well, it's the earnings season. According to FactSet, which aggregates all the analysts' forecasts, analysts had been looking for a decline in S&P earnings of 6.7% in the first quarter of this year. That was just before the reporting season started. As of last week, that forecast has fallen to just minus 3.7% because 80% of the 265 companies that have reported so far have actually beaten what the analysts had forecast. This week, another 162 companies are expected to report their earnings. And if the trend remains the same that the companies beat analysts' forecasts, then we should expect the overall earnings decline to continue to shrink. So by the time all of them are reported, well, the earnings growth could in fact be zero, not minus 6.7%. But we can't say that for sure because we don't know if the ones that are left to report will be as good as the first 53%. In particular, big technology companies beat expectations, but they've all reported by now. So maybe the remaining companies won't beat expectations so much. Well, anyway, since those big technology companies have beat expectations, there's been a lot of short covering. Last week, $700 million left the ETF that tracks three times the inverse performance of the NASDAQ 100 index, so we'll just have to see what the remaining 47% of S&P companies report when those numbers come out over the next few weeks. This is Mark Matthews signing off for now. I wish you a very pleasant week ahead, and we'll speak with you again next week. Goodbye. Get ready for the day ahead. Moving Markets is a daily market news briefing from Julius Baer's leading experts. You'll hear all about the latest ups and downs across asset classes, the underlying drivers, and our thoughts on where markets are heading. Search for Moving Markets on your favorite podcast player. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.